Hey, my name's Lee Lewis. Um, Josh did a good enough job introducing me, so I don't feel like I need to say a lot more. Um, but I will say a few things. Um, while, um, while I'm talking, if you could turn to Psalm 120, um, that's where we're going to be tonight. There's a couple other texts that I'll reference, but I'll make you aware of those so that you can turn to them. Um, I am over the pastoral care department at the Village Church, um, and it's, I, I never thought I would live in Dallas. Um, my roommate from college was from Dallas, and I, I just kind of despised Dallas. It was fun to go to Dallas, um, but I didn't want to live in Dallas. Um, but I live in Dallas. So um, thankfully, I live north of Dallas. Um, it's a lot of fun stuff to do, but um, honestly, I, I, I would much rather live in New Orleans. I enjoyed my time in New Orleans, although I'm glad I'm not in seminary anymore. So um, in the pastoral care department um, at the church, um, there's just a variety of things that, um, that we do there. And this, this really doesn't tie into the sermon at all. I'm just trying to kind of tell you what I do. Um, I'm a biblical counselor. Um, I do some professional biblical counseling in the community on the side, but my main job um, is the pastoral care, the care pastor at the Village Church. Um, and what that means is um, just different recovery groups. Uh, there's premarital uh, counseling. There's uh, grief recovery. There's um, things of that nature. There's recovery at the Village, which really isn't under me anymore, but I work um, side by side with reconciliation and the recovery guys. Um, but it's, it's, it's really the emphasis is biblical counseling, um, um, heart-focused discipleship brings about either um, salvation or sanctification. And so it's a, it's a very um, intense ministry that we do, and uh, we deal with a, a lot of difficult, uh, difficult situations, but we've seen a lot of amazing things happen. Um, uh, several of you have asked me about our pastor, Matt. Um, just cover your prayers for him. Um, Thanksgiving, he had a seizure um, in his kitchen and went to the hospital. They ran tests, and they found a tumor, and that was Tuesday. And then that Friday, he had the tumor on his right frontal lobe, lobe removed, and turns out that the tumor... Um, is malignant. Um, and so we're praying for his healing. Um, this is an extremely good time for our church um, because more than we would like to admit, we have made the village church about Matt Chandler um, and not God. Um, and so Matt's been strucken um, and he is um, healing now and he's doing well. In fact, he's preached at our church the last two weeks. Um, but our, our church is in a season where we're having to um, get on our knees and press into the Lord. So for those of you who have prayed for him and prayed for his family, um, I just thank you. Um, and and he, would, he would say thank you. Um, he is not an emotional person. He's passionate, but he's emotional. Um, but um, I have seen him cry over this, and the one thing that I've seen, um, seen him cry over with all of this wasn't the cancer, wasn't the surgery, wasn't the suffering. Um, it was the overflow of love from the body of Christ from literally around the world. Um, and, and, and so there's something to that. I mean, this is what you and I are caught up in. Um, it's, it's, it's what Christ has done in our hearts um, and how he's changed us. He's taken what was broken um, and what was sick and what was diseased, and he's, he's changed that and changing that. So um, let me pray over us, um, and then we will get right into it. Father, we love you. Um, there are many different hearts in this room. And there's some that are wounded, some that are hurting, um, some that feel lost, hopeless, and then there's those who are overflowing with gratitude. But Lord, we collect in this room tonight to praise your holy name. Lord, we can't sing songs good enough. We can't dissect scripture well enough. We need you to penetrate our hearts. So I pray that your spirit would move, that you would open us to your truth, and that we would either see that truth for the first time or that we might be challenged newly by that truth, and we might be different tonight, we might look more like your son. So I pray that as your words, your truth go out, Lord, that anything that would inhibit ears from hearing, anything that would inhibit hearts from hearing, Lord, that you would, in the name of Christ, that you would remove that, that your word would go out and penetrate and change. Father, we need you and we love you, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Josh and Megan, uh, it's, been, it's been four or five months ago, they invited me to come, or they, they asked me to come and do some equipping for their leaders. 
Um, and they said, yeah, we'd love you to come in. It's going to be a lot of our ministry leaders, home group leaders, um, people who really um, have their hands on lots of people from the ring. We would love you to come in and do some of the stuff that you do with your leaders um, at the village. So I prayed about it and, and looked at my calendar, and it, and it just worked out, and so I was able to come. And then they, they said, you know, we'd love you to preach um, Sunday night. And, and I thought, man, that would be incredible because I used to drive over from New Orleans when I had the chance on Sunday evenings back when y'all met at Parkview. Um, and I would sit at the back, um, and get there early, and we would pray like they still do. Um, and I would just be so stirred and moved at what the Lord was doing with a bunch of ignorant college kids. Um, I'm not that far removed from you, so I, I'm saying that about myself, that just there's this passion and this just fervor to seek after the Lord. And it was encouraging to me because I would had so much difficulty finding a church in New Orleans. Um, and so my wife was literally saved in that chapel when she went to LSU. And so yesterday, I got to preach out of the text that she heard when she came to faith. I mean, I was just overwhelmed yesterday. And, and then she was discipled and grown in maturity in faith by women at the ring. And so I owe a lot to this church. Um, and, it, and it's overwhelming to me to sit at the back and just to think like what the Lord's done, not only in my wife's life, but in my life as a direct result of this, this group of believers. Um, so I just want to encourage you and what you've been caught up in and what you're called to. I just want to encourage you as a church. Um, and um, I just want to plead with you to become a people of prayer. Because it's so easy to get caught up in this thing called church. And it becomes a room, and it becomes a hobby, and it becomes something other than what the scriptures describe it to be. It becomes something other than a place where people gather and are encouraged where broken people are lifted up, where people who are struggling are interceded for and prayed for, and, and people get messy and they do life together. And that's what our pastor always says, people do life together. Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how rare that is in America where, where everything about American is isolate, isolate, protect, put up your wall, um, put your fence around your house, don't talk to your neighbors, be isolated. That, that, this goes against everything that America is about. Um, and this is what we're supposed to do in church, be together to worship together, to encourage one another. So I just want to encourage you in that. And I just, I have, I've uh, just come to appreciate the ring all the more this weekend. So let's look at Psalm 120. I'll quit yapping about that. Let's look at Psalm 120. I'm going to read um, all the way through um, Psalm 120 and Psalm 121. Um, one of the things that I, as I was studying these, this text in particular, I realized that um, when they would sing these psalms as prayers, um, they would go from one Psalm 120 all the way through Psalm 122 because of the way they tied in together. So our, 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 our forefathers, our ch the church fathers, the, those who have gone before us, when they would get into these texts specifically, they would go all the way through them and sing them as a prayer because of how they were united. Um, and so that's why I'm including Psalm 120 because it fits well with where we need to go um, in Psalm 121. So start with me in verse 1. This is Psalm 120 verse 1. It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. It says, verse 2, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp tongue with the glowing coals of the broom tree. So already in verse 1, you see there's this realization of need. And this is where I'm going today. I mean, just for months, really, really starting in May. The Lord really began to just prick my heart about several different things. And one of the things he began to show me with some of the people that we were doing ministry with is just that there's this terrible tendency with the people in our church and just what I was noticing in people even outside of our church to not walk in God-honoring vulnerability. That, they, that they, they'd see the need, they would see a weakness either around them or in their own life, and then rather than running to the Lord, Rather than realizing that need and bringing that before the Lord, they'd become frozen, paralyzed, and disoriented and just do nothing. So no sanctification was happening. No pursuit of the Lord in their suffering was happening. They were just stuck. So I just going to go to the Scriptures. I was like, this does not seem right. And I know I've struggled with this, but I'm seeing this rampantly, and 
it just doesn't seem right. So I just begin to go to the scripture and say, so what, is, what does the Bible say about my condition? What does the Bible say about your condition? And you see it right here. In my distress, I called to the Lord that when I'm in need, I called to the Lord. Verse 5, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Um, just a little side note about the Meshik and Kedar. Um, those were two ruthless um, tribes. They were far, 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 far apart. There's no way they would have been allies. This guy's, not, this guy's using these brutal tribes as an example. He's basically saying, my life is terrible. And it actually got worse. He, he's being sarcastic. He's like, these, the worst of the worst has come against me. But what you notice is in verse 1, he says, in my distress, what I called to who? To the Lord. He didn't look horizontally. He didn't look for different circumstances. He called to the Lord. Uh, verse 1 and 121, keep reading. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? And please don't confuse the hills with some physical... He's talking about the Mount Zion. And even then... It's Mount Zion because Yahweh dwelled there. He's saying, I lift my eyes to the Lord. Where does my help come? So again, in his time of distress, in his time of need, he is looking to the Lord. Keep reading. Um, from where does my help come? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and who made earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Just a couple things I want to point out about these two chapters. First again, there's this, this realize, realization of weakness. They're not, the, the, the writer is not acting like he's something is not. He's like, you know what, I feel a little off here. But I'm going to shake it off and act like I'm better than I really am. No, he's like, I'm on fire. And it was bad, and it actually just got worse. It's like the hits just keep on coming. And then the second thing is what he does. He's like, he looks to the Lord. He doesn't look for new friends. He doesn't look for a new church. He doesn't look for circumstance change. He looks to the Lord. I mean, I just, one of the things that I see often in my counseling it's just people come in, they can tell you in detail, in depth what the problem is. They can tell you when it happened, why it started, what they've tried to figure it out. Um, but rarely will you hear them in those struggles, in that suffering, in that weakness, cry out to the Lord and seek Him and Him alone. They always come in, they say, change my circumstances. Help me get new circumstances. So rather than seeking the Lord in their circumstances, they just want a whole new set of them. So it looks like this. I don't really like my wife anymore. I want a new one. Now, they're not saying that, but their heart's absolutely saying that. You know, my kids have been really difficult this year. I'm, I'm, I'm done with them. I'd like some different kids. Now, they're not saying that, but their heart and their actions absolutely say it. And we know that the Lord looks at the heart, right? So you can fake it. You can brush it up. You can act like you're not really feeling what's going on in you, but the Lord sees that. He sees that adultery. He sees that heart that, that craves greener pastures always, but never seeks Him in trial. He sees that. But here the writer saying, I look to the mountain. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? And just some observations that I've seen in people, and this is the part that kind of drove me into this study, which is I was seeing person after person who just wasn't walking in God-honoring weakness. You just would see two extremes. You'd see the, the person who would, they knew they were weak. They knew they were um, broken. They knew they were vulnerable. But rather than running to the Lord, rather than looking to the mountains, they would move to self-pity. They would move to self-loathing. They would become a victim. And those people always isolate. They do not walk in community, so no one can rub up against them. No one can pray for them. No one can encourage them. Because why? They're off alone. 
And so they would sit in their pride. They would sit in their self-pity. They knew they were broken. They knew they were in need. But they didn't seek the Lord. They sought their own wisdom. And they shrivel up and die there. What a tragedy. The opportunity is in their brokenness to say, I am weak. I need you. But they don't. They cower in the corner in self-pity. And then the other extreme, where weakness is bad, weakness is wrong. I am not vulnerable. I pick myself up from my bootstraps. I'm self-made. I can do this. I've got this. I'm this. I'm... Give it a rest, bro. You're, you are fooled. You are a man like I am. And the same cancer that kills me kills you. And when they act like they're something that they really are, when they act as if they're not something, when they are weak, they miss the opportunity, just like the self-loathing, just like the self-pity, to look to the mountain, to look to Yahweh, to look to the Lord for help. And these are just the observations I was seeing consistently in people. Walking as a victim, not pressing into the Lord, I realize I'm broken, but I use it as an excuse and I just cower over and wither away or beat my chest because I don't need anybody. I've got this. Both are equally deceived, and both are equally sinful. And that's what I want to look at today. That's what I want to look at, because the scriptures would say, here's how your hearts get off. Here's how you should walk, which we just read. I look to the mountain when I'm in need. I look to the mountain when I need help. I am vulnerable. I look to him. But when we get off, which we do often, when we get off, where is our heart going, and what does it look like to get our hearts fixed back on, on Him? Okay, I wanted to, to show you, just to give you an idea what the Scriptures would say about the condition of man. Um, I'm going to reference these texts. What I would tell you to do is write them down, because I'm not, I'm not going to look them up. Um, here's, here's how the Scriptures would address man's frailty, man's weakness, man's vulnerability. This is what the Scriptures would say. Um, Psalm 91 one through two. The whole, the whole chapter of Psalm 91 really speaks to this. This is one of 15 that I could have picked out. Um, I just decided to pick this one because I thought um, it talks about being a refuge and a fortress, that God is our refuge and God is our fortress, meaning that if I was put together and had everything that I needed, would I need a fortress? No. Would I need a refuge if I had everything that I needed? No. I wouldn't. If I had no chinks in my armor, if I had no, I would not need a refuge and a fortress. And so Psalm 91 is describing God as our refuge, describing Him as our fortress because we are in need of refuge, that we are a broken, vulnerable people. Um, here's another one, Matthew 26, 41. This is Jesus. Um, Jesus has gone. He's about to die. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells His disciples to wait and to intercede. He goes to pray, and He comes back, and they're doing what? They're sleeping. And here's what Jesus says. He basically says, oh, truly the flesh is weak. You couldn't pray for me? Truly the flesh is weak. What Jesus is saying is, in your brokenness, you are truly, truly weak. You are truly vulnerable. Truly inable. Um, and then an, a really good one is uh, Galatians chapter 4. It's, it's, uh, it's talking about being saved from weakness. Um, how could we go back to it? So he's talking about what the work of Christ did in our hearts and that we were once bound to the wisdom of the world and we were bound to our flesh, which was weak. And we've been saved from weakness, is what he's saying. And he says, why would you go back to that? He's like, so, I mean, post-fall, post Genesis 3 and on, my flesh is broken and weak. Like, the answers aren't in me. The strength isn't in me. I mean... There's a, there's a guy that used to go to our church. I mean, this guy was, grew up poor as they come and just worked hard his whole life, built an empire, just became wealthy, mega, mega wealthy. He, by all means, was self-made. In every sense of the word, he was self-made. The problem with this guy is he wouldn't let anyone in because he didn't think he needed anybody. He had all the answers. He had all the knowledge. He could do it. He could fix it. He could... And if he didn't, he could point you to someone he could. Because he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew. He had built, he had picked himself up. He didn't, I, I'm surprised that I even sought out the Lord. Why do you need the Lord? You seem to be God, bro. 
And so just continue to butt heads with this guy. And there's a reason why he left our church. I mean, this guy just was selfish. He didn't need the Lord. What a fool. What a fool. And I could tell you about people that I've met that have just been drugged through the mud. Other people's sin has affected them dearly. One woman in particular that I'm thinking about, she had just, her story of abuse is just one of the worst I've ever heard. I mean, she just, for, from, just from a young girl to a teenager to a young woman, even to when she got married, she just was around people who abused her in every way possible. And the scars and the wounds from those people's sins were deep. But as she began to pursue the Lord, the, the Lord began to do a work in her. But what we began to notice with this woman is that um, she, she knew she was weak and she knew she was vulnerable. But rather than going to the Lord, she would go to people. And when a person would eventually let her down because people let you down right, she would cut them off. So she continued to cut people off and we began to see this pattern because a lot of strife began to come up with these different people and we were having to address it. And so as we began to address it with this woman, we began to see the state of her heart as we tried to really push her and see all we saw was this victim, this vulnerable, weak person, which is true. She is like I am. But rather than running to the Lord, she would run to people and eventually get burned and then isolate herself and then everybody was against her in her mind. You know how spring-loaded she was? No one could tell her anything loving or truthful. Why? Because she was isolated over here, and in her heart and in her mind, everyone was out to get her because why? She felt vulnerable. She had not gone to the Lord. She had gone to people, and the people let her down. They always will. They always will. So here's the other, here's what, what else does Scripture say? And this is the part I like the most. Um, I don't know it from experience. Um, because I never lived in Genesis 1 and 2, and neither did you, but it's what we're being saved to. Genesis 1 and 2, I'm just going to summarize it. Um, basically, God's, um, he brings about this rhythm. He brings about this shalom. He creates and says it's good. So he takes that which is not ready to be inhabited by man, and he begins to create. He says on day one he creates, and he says what? It's, it's good. So he's doing this, create, good, create, good, create, good. And then God creates man. And he does something different when he creates man. You can go right to Genesis. It says this. He creates man, and then he speaks to man. He speaks to man and begins to give him direction. He says, don't do this. Go here. Come here. Avoid this. He begins to give Adam counsel, meaning there's no sin in the world. God's created Adam to what? Need God. Be dependent upon God. This idea of independence is is damning. It's this American idea that I don't need anybody, I'm independent. God did not create you independent. He created you to be dependent upon Him. Chances are you're just dependent upon everything but Him. It's called idolatry. He's created you to be dependent upon Him, just like He did Adam. He creates Adam and Eve to be dependent upon Him. And in that beautiful affection and worship, all of their worship terminated on Him. And there was this beautiful relationship Sinner enters the world, and we're dealing with the chaos ever since. But it doesn't change the fact of how God created us, needy and dependent upon Him. It's a good thing to be vulnerable. It's a good thing to need Him. It's a good thing to be weak. This is what the psalmist is saying. In my weakness, I have Him. There is no strength apart from Him. It is foolish to believe otherwise. It's foolish. I'm pleading with you because this seems like such a small thing, but people walk in this foolishness constantly. I put a five-course meal in the microwave, and it's done in two minutes with no effort. I don't need God. I live in the suburbs. Everything I need is all around me. I don't need Him. Our culture wars against this. This awesome idea that God's created us dependent upon Him. It's an awesome idea. And we fight it with everything in us. Our, our flesh fights against it. And it's beautiful. And you find rest there. You find the Lord there. He is in the place where we are not. He is strength. I am weak, and as I seek him in that brokenness, as I seek him in my vulnerability, he is enough. He's enough. 
But we miss this. We constantly miss this. Okay. Um, I believe that there's two heart issues that contribute to us walking in our own strength rather than the Lord's. Um, I believe that these heart issues keep us from either seeing vulnerability as an opportunity to press into him or seeing vulnerability as a what it is, a weakness, and I'll have nothing to do with that. I'm going to act like I'm strong and put together and that I don't need that. I don't need the Lord. And here's, here's, um, here's the first one. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Jeremiah chapter 17 is a chapter I use often in counseling because it's so relevant to so many different types of issues that people come with. And the thing about biblical counseling is that people, people will come, and like I told you earlier, they can clearly define to you what the problem is and what they're struggling with, um, but they have no idea where it's coming from. Um, and what you'll find with the word of the Lord is that he'll show you, here's how you're acting, here's what's coming out sideways in you, and here's the heart issue behind it. And this is why I love this, this, um, this uh, the Jeremiah chapter 17 because it really does a good job of revealing some heart issues. Okay, Jer- Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Let me, let me read. I'm going to start in verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Okay, so here's what's going on right here in this text. He's saying, cursed is the man who puts, who trusts in man. Cursed, basically, cursed is the man who trusts in creation rather than the creator. That's what he's saying. He's like a shrub planted in the desert. I'm from the desert. I'm from New Mexico. You can see for 50 miles in either direction. It's flat like here, but no trees. You can see forever. And you'll be driving and you'll see this one little shrub and it's probably 30 years old, 40, 50 years old, but it, it's like this big. And the leaves are brown, and they're burnt on the ends. He's saying, if you trust in creation rather than the creator, you will wither away. Cursed is that man. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Notice what it says. It says, if you trust in the Lord, you're like the tree planted by the stream that's roots go deep. And when the heat comes, not if the heat comes, there's some silly, silly stuff out in evangelicalism that says if you give enough, if you sow your seed, if you have enough faith, you'll never suffer. That is garbage. When the heat comes, not if, when the heat comes, roots go deep and leaves remain green. Why? Because trust is in the Lord. Not circumstances, not creation, not circumstance change. Lord. So the first heart issue, it's idolatry. The first heart issue in my heart and in your heart that leads me away towards walking in righteous weakness, righteous vulnerability towards the mountain, towards the Lord, looking towards Him is idolatry. I can give you dozens of examples from our church. Um, One for me is um, being the provider of our home, um, even though my wife does the finances, um, she keeps me in the loop. And I will often think, what, how can I do? How can I scramble? How can I do to get around so that we have enough money and so that we can do this? And my mind begins to go crazy. And thankfully, she's a faithful tither because if it was left to me, I would probably hold back. Why? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, we sure could use that extra 200 right there. We really could use that. We've got this coming, she needs new tires, I need this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My mind begins to work with that and go that way. And here's what's happened in that moment. In that moment, I've decided and I've looked at it one way and I thought, okay, I'm going to approach my money this way. Here's what provision looks like in my mind. I know that I should give this to the Lord because he's given much to us, but this makes more sense. And then Andrea just goes ahead and ties it anyway, thank God. Just thank, thank the Lord. 
Do you see that? I've got an idea what provisions should be like, and then rather than trust the Lord, I look to other things, money, th- people, relationships, and then I begin to try to fill in this weak spot, this vulnerability, this perceived threat in my life, and replace that with these things over here. When you go to creation over the Creator, it's called idolatry. The Bible talks over and over about this. The affection that should go and terminate on Him, when it terminates on something else, the Lord is a jealous God, and He hates that. He hates it. Not just like sort of just winks at it, like Jesus had to die because of it. It's terrible. When I go to creation rather than the Creator... Um, I'll give you another example. Like, I was single um, 25 years until I met Andrea. And trust me, not because I wanted to be single. It was a sore, sore spot in my heart. Um, and one of the tensions, one of the frustrations between me and the Lord as I would pray about this, I would talk with Him about it, as I would go to Him and plead with Him over the fact that I was single, Lord, bring me a family, bring me a wife. I want this, I want this, I want this. Why can't I have this? Um, one of the things he began to show in me is that I had elevated this idea of marriage into a place that just wasn't healthy. I thought that I wouldn't be lonely, it wouldn't be insecure anymore, and all of these problems in my heart would go away if I just had a wife. Well, guess what? I got married, and they were still there. Andrea didn't fix them. And she can't. And it's wrong for me to ask her to. But I do. I do. Like... The Lord can fix that. The Lord fixes those broken spots in me. The Lord makes what's broken in me work through Christ. He might use Andrea as a part of that. He might use different ministries and different people as a part of that. But in the end, it's Him. It's not those things. So to get off from that reality and to look at those things as if they fix, as if they heal, as if they restore me in my vulnerability, it's wrong. Okay, that's the first one. Um, Here's the second one. And I'm going to summarize... Exodus chapter 4, you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, because that's where I'll pick it up. Um, As I've been preparing for this, I've gotten to read a lot of Exodus and Deuteronomy, and I've, man, I've I've really enjoyed it. One of the things that I've noticed is just how similar I am and the people of our church are to the people of Israel as Moses is leading them out. If you'll remember, God calls Moses in chapter 3, Um, And Moses kind of does that thing where he says, no, I'm not capable, I don't speak well. And then God goes and shows him these signs. He says, no, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery. And the Egyptians were ruthless, harsh people. And so Moses sees these signs that the Lord does. Moses and Aaron gather the elders of Israel, and they show the elders of Israel these signs that the Lord had showed them. And then they told them, so they showed them the miracles. One of the miracles was, they throw down the staff, it turns into a snake, and pick it up and turns back into a staff. They turn some water into blood. Um, he put his hand inside his coat. It came out lepro- leprosy, and then he put it back in, and it was fleshy again. So they show the elders these signs, and the elders hear that the Lord is going to deliver them from slavery, and they are overwhelmed to the point of tears and worship. That's what the Scripture says. They begin to worship him. They're so overwhelmed because they've been so burdened for so long. And then they go before the Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron. They say, hey, God wants to lead. He wants to, to, you to let his people go. We're going to lead them out. Pharaoh says what? He says, no. You obviously have too much time on your hands, so um, you don't get straw to make brick anymore. Oh, and by the way, make three times the amount. So what happened? God promises deliverance. Then Pharaoh puts that harsh order on them, so things actually got worse for them. God promises deliverance. Things get worse. And then one chapter later, the people begin to groan and groan and groan. And Moses goes before the Lord and says, you've made me look like a fool. What have you done here? Have you deceived us? So what's happened there? What's happened there? The Lord's promise hasn't changed. Let's pick it up in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Verse 3, And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. He says, I took you into the wilderness so that you could see your hearts the way I do. Your hearts are prone to wander. And I've taken you in the wilderness so that you can see them the way that I do. Did I not give you food? Did I not give you clothes? He says, were you without? I kept my promise. And so often in our vulnerability, we cry out for help. And we believe the Lord will help. But then it doesn't quite look the way we think it should as if we were God. And we become frustrated. We become angst when the whole time the Lord wants to walk us through the season of suffering so that he can show you your heart. Because you're blind. I am blind to the idolatry and the pride that swirls in my heart and comes out in all of my actions. I am blind to it. Maybe I'll see it after I've destroyed people's lives with my sin. Maybe then I'll pay attention to it. But I am blind unless the Spirit reveals what is going on. And that's what he's telling the people. He's saying, I love you. I love you. And I want you to see your heart the way that I do. Have you ever been without? And I did deliver you from slavery. And you know what they say later? The people literally say this. I wish we were back in Egypt eating cucumbers and avocados. Really? Quell and manna miraculously at your tent door every morning? You want cucumbers? You want to build bricks again? I mean, we don't get it. That he is delivering. He is strong. He is the refuge. He is the fortress. And in your time of need, in your time of vulnerability, he delivers. There's just times when we think our way is better than God's. And we become frustrated and our hearts are filled with angst rather than, I trust you, Lord, but help me trust you more. I'm still struggling. I'm still weak. And then he reveals your heart. And when you know what's in your heart, then you know what to repent of. When you repent, little by little, you look a little more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. It's what it is. Is that Christ has saved me, and some of the dumb stuff I said at 15, God, the Lord's just grown me out of that. Praise his name. But there's still some stupidity in me. I've got two kids now. Like two kids, and like I love to come home and just sit. You can't do that with two kids. Like there's not this rotation, hey, I take Luke, you go get some time to yourself. It's not, now it's Luke and Abel. And it's like, hey, you take them both, actually. I'm tired. I'm like, what? What is that? Well, I think I've had a long day and I'm entitled to some time alone. Well, that would be nice. But you have a responsibility to your wife and to your boys, Lee. God will give you rest later. My heart still does this. I'm still, he's still growing me. That it's sealed and it's done in Christ, but he's still growing me. And that I am so blind to the things that are going on in here. And if his spirit does not intervene, I will walk blindly and dumbly in them and leave a wake of dead people behind me. And you will too. You will too. This is the dull people that we are, apart from His grace and His work, through His Spirit, through His Word, through His church, in our hearts. All right, last text. This is in Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to start in verse 15. Isaiah 30 is where we just were in in Deuteronomy 8 is really a summary of the the exile, God leading his people out of Egypt. Um, Isaiah takes a little bit different approach, kind of summing up the exile. He kind of takes more of a harsh repent approach. So he uses them as an example to tell the people of that time to repent. And I think the message carries on today for us Um, This is Isaiah chapter 30. I'm going to start in verse 15. It says this, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. That word returning literally means in the Hebrew repentance. 
It means basically saying, in returning, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But, always got to hate that word, but you were unwilling and you said no. We will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord awaits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So he basically says, in returning, in repentance and rest, you shall find strength. You shall find the Lord in your weakness and in repenting and moving back to him, you'll find rest. You'll find quietness. And then he says, no, but you were unwilling. You were unwilling. And then he, he references something specifically here where the, is, um, the Israelite war strategists, they were, um, they were thinking of um, uh, a cavalry, um, specifically the Amalekite cavalry, which was a dominant cavalry. And they just thought if we could have their horses we could overrun the Israelites. If we could just have a few of their horses, that would be the key to us dominating the, the, the Egyptians. We would, we would win then. If we just had this. So their wisdom was, hey, they've got a good cavalry. If we could just have theirs, then we could beat them. And God says, they will dominate you. Your wisdom is fleeting. He says, it's not about horses. It's not about an army. It's about you returning to me. To me. And in returning, in repentance, you'll find rest. And, and those first few verses say, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Here's what the text is saying. This is the best analogy I could come up with with what the Hebrew is actually saying. Um, I took swimming lessons when I was probably seven years old. And um, one of the very first things my swimming instructor taught me was how to float. I got into the swimming pool and she said, okay, before you can swim, we've got to teach you to float. So I want, I want you to get on your back. I'm going to hold you up. Put your legs out. Put your arms out. And I want you to breathe in and out deeply. Breathe in and out. So I'm doing this. I'm breathing in and out, in and out. She's holding my back. And she says, I'm going to remove my hands. And then you continue to breathe and you will float. The water will hold you. Those were her words. Well, without me paying attention, she moved her hands and then the next thing I see her hands coming out of the water, not realizing yet that she had let go. And in that moment, realized she had let go and realized I'm floating. So I continued to breathe, continued to breathe and continue to float. And then the water, I began to see the water. And my muscles flinched and I stopped floating. I began to have to tread water. So it went from the effort of the water holding me up to whose effort? My effort. This is what the text is talking about. It literally means do nothing. Nothing. Float. Return to me in rest and repentance and in quietness. You'll find me and I will hold you. That's what the text is literally saying. And in that, in that obedience, in that pursuit of the Lord, he begins to show you, just like he did Adam and Eve, hey, Lee, stop doing this. Go here. Come do this. That's when you know what obedience looks like. That's when you know how to walk, where to go, how to be, and follow him. Because what happens is I see, I see what's broken, and then I scramble for ways to fix it. It's probably the biggest curse in my heart. I'm so prideful. I see what's broken in my family, and I think, well, I can fix it. You know what makes that honestly worse is the fact that I'm a pastor and I know a lot of the Bible. I know what to do. But void from him... It's meaningless. So I will see a problem, address it, rather than, Lord, what would you have me do? I, I, I constantly am praying this with my kids. Lord, I don't know how to discipline Luke with this new thing he's doing. I don't know. I mean, I know what your word says. I know what I think I should do, but it's hard. I seek the Lord in that moment of weakness. It's weakness, is it not? If I... If, if I had the answers, you could say, no, it wasn't, but I don't know what to do. I don't have the answer. And the Lord says, seek me. Look to the mountain. 
just want to close um, with a story. Um, I, I wasn't originally going to include this, um, but I got here tonight, and the Lord told me to, so I have to. And I don't want to. Um, I am 31 years old. I know I look seven. Um, <laughs> obviously do, so. Um, um, 31, and about the age of 14, uh, when I was about to, about to go into my sophomore year, my first year of high school, that summer, I got diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease. Um, and I've still got it. It's been a really difficult, difficult thing in my life. Um, and there's been these seasons where there's times when the, just the disease was dominating my physical body. I mean, I've nearly died several times. I've had multiple surgeries. It's just been this serious, serious thing in my life for a long time now. But singly, the thing the Lord's used more than anything to sanctify me. Um, one time in particular, and this is when we were married, this is probably when I did the most battle in my heart. Um, we, had, we had moved to Dallas. We'd lived there about a year, and I was starting to get really sick. I mean, I'll drop 10 pounds in a week, That's how, and I'm skinny already. It's not good. Um, and I was just real sick, been going to the doctor quite a bit. They'd been running all kinds of tests. I was driving back from the counseling office, which was quite a ways away, um, in a town called Bedford nearby. And it's a long drive, and so I was making that drive and just decided to turn off the music, and I just decided to cry out to the Lord. And, and I just, my phone, had, my phone rang, and it was my doctor. And my doctor called, and he said, hey, man, we got your test back, and it's, it's bad. I mean, like, I don't know what's going on inside of you, but it's real bad, and we're going to have to do surgery quick. And we don't know what we're going to find we have some ideas what we need to do, but we have no idea what we're going to find. And, and if this prolongs, then I, I just don't think you're going to live. And I'm like, mm. I mean, my stomach just dropped. My heart just fell because I, mean, I was hoping for the best, right? And so I just began to plead with the Lord. I just began to think about my wife and just this family we were wanting to have. And I was, I was angry. I was bitter in my heart because I began to think, Here's this life I've got, and I love this life, and here's what we hope for. Here's what we're wanting. This is what we just want to go for. And this is threatening all of it. This thing is threatening all of that. How could you do this? Who will take care of, of my wife? Who will take care of our kids if we have them? Who will? I just began to ask all these questions. Who's going to fix it? And the Lord just hushed me in a loving, gentle way. And he says, I love them more than you. I've got this. Have I always been good to you, Lee? And the overwhelming answer was, yes, you have. And I am still sick. And I've had multiple surgeries. He was good yesterday. He is good today. Why wouldn't he be good tomorrow? He has always been good to me. And in that moment, I just fell back into the water, and I just rested. And it was a warm blanket to not have the answers and to lean on his understanding and not my own, to look to the mountain, to God. You are weak. I am weak. And it's beautiful. Because in our weakness, he is strong. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. We don't miss this. It's so subtle. It will leave. And a lot of us are really capable people. And it might be the most damning thing that you're so capable. Because in your capability, there's little need for God. And you miss him. You miss him. Be weak. Be vulnerable because you are. And look to the mountain. Okay, I'm going to pray over you. I just, I'm going to just bow your heads and close your eyes here for a second. My hope is that you would Ask the Lord right now to just 
let, let his word read you. Let his word till up your heart. What's he showing you? Like, where have you relied on your own strength? Where have you not sought the Lord? Because I know, I know there's people in this room that are struggling to go on, honestly. I mean, there's got to be people in this room that don't have it all together, that are wondering, what's the Lord going to do? How's he going to get me out of this? This is difficult. This is dark. I didn't ask for this, or maybe I did this. It's a consequence. But, but even still, the Lord is the strong fort. He's the refuge. Where have you looked to other things rather than him? This is idolatry, people. I think the response is to repent and to ask the Lord to show you how to flee those things. Because honestly, like, the idolatry in my life, they're all good things. They're family. They're kids. They're health. They're my church, even. I'm not going to go do heroin tonight just because I hit the rock bottom. So, most, most often, what we're dealing with are good things, things that the Lord's even blessed us with that we've elevated to a place that they shouldn't be. This is wrong. Ask the Lord to help you. And then where we've been prideful, where we've been needy, where we've been vulnerable, we've cried out to the Lord and He's begun to move and we've sh shaken our fist at Him because we thought it should look a different way. Lord, he is God and you are not. His way is perfect and it's good and it's for your goodness that he doesn't lead you off a cliff to die. He leads you to a place where life is and even if that stings, there's sanctification and joy to be had. This is no joke. He loves you. So I'm going to pray over us. Father, this is your word. This is your truth. Lord, where we have stepped outside of your truth, I pray you would correct us. And Lord, you're so gentle to correct us. Your kindness leads to repentance. And so we ask gently now, Lord, your spirit would move and convict where we've stepped outside of your truth. Father, for those who are broken and hurting and weak and vulnerable, which honestly is all of us, where we've turned our heads towards other things rather than you, let us fix our eyes back on you. Turn our chins back towards heaven. Please, Father, we're a desperate, vulnerable people. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.